Well, good morning, church. My name is Josh. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at Redemption City. And I'm excited about this morning because we, we get a, I think we have an opportunity to talk about how uh, the gospel interacts with, uh, with normal human life, with real human stories in a time and place. And I was trying to think of like a good example intro story that I could give, and I thought, what if I just had my friend Jason come give his, his gospel story? So I want to invite my friend Jason Hua up, uh, our very own Jason Hua, to share his uh, gospel story with us. Yep, that's right. Put your hands together. You guys hear me okay? Cool. Um, So yeah, some of you uh, know intimate details of my story. Others have maybe heard. But who I was in the recent past was completely contrary to the kingdom of God. I did whatever I wanted, intentionally and inadvertently used and hurt myself and others, chased pleasure and personal conquest in all the ways I could think of. Money, sex, drugs, just missing rock and roll. But when God came for me and revealed the depth of his love for the suffering of his son, the opposition of my past became a stark black backdrop to the brightness of the truth. I am so fortunate, if I can call it that, because I know just how much I've been forgiven. I can't help but to follow Christ. It is as natural as gravity. And now, as the man who recognizes the great treasure in the field and sells what he has to obtain it, I sell the pleasures, the selfish ambitions, and worldly wisdom for the kingdom of God, and joyfully invest in the internal by being a disciple of Jesus. From this, fruit springs forth. I am no longer a slave to sensual pursuits. Financial structures and deployment are designed to enhance God's kingdom, not my own. And loving my neighbor is so multifaceted now, from the smallest interaction at the grocery checkout line, and what I think about that lady in front who's taking her time... (laughs) All the way to guiding inner-city middle schoolers at Streams of Hope to step into their potential by overcoming the daily injuries from those who are supposed to love them. These are not things to boast about. They are natural outcomes of the combination of God-given interests and being a disciple of Christ. I eagerly wait to see what new joys daily unfold. Yeah, praise God for the story he's telling in uh, Jason's life. It's uh, such a gift to, to have a, a front row seat to that. And yeah, I, was, I, I think I've told him before, like all my theology makes sense when I, when I hear Jason Hua's story. Um, and the reason why I had, had him uh, offered, uh, asked him to offer his story to us is uh, because we, Paul kind of gives us his story uh, and and I think we can see that we can map our story onto this same paradigm. So we settle into our uh, series that uh, we're calling One Gospel for a Divided World. Uh, Pastor Mike kicked off last week. We're talking, we're talking about the gospel a lot. Uh, Pastor Mike talks about how Paul came in hot right out of the, bu- uh, right out of the gate, rebuking the church, uh, that they had jumped ship on, ship on the true gospel by adding to the good news of Jesus, uh, the, the adding like you got to have Jesus plus Torah observance. And uh, today, as, as we kind of go, go forward, Paul is now validating this one gospel that exists objectively as something that's come from God himself by showing the effects of this gospel in his own life. 
And I think uh, my hope for us this morning is that we'd be able to uh, use this as an invitation to consider our own experience of the gospel again. As we unpack and dive into all the stuff about the gospel in the book of Galatians over the next weeks and months, it, just, it, it would be tragic if we, if we miss the gospel for you and for me as we talk about the, the concepts and, the, and, and everything of the, uh, of the gospel. Be like, you know, talking about a trip to Disneyland but never actually going. Just like looking at pictures or talking about the like physics of roller coasters but not getting on and having fun. So to kind of like, I don't know, start your, your thinking processes, uh, considering our own gospel story might mean two things. The, the first one is, is a fun thing. Like I, I hope this is a, a time of gratitude and joy as we consider what God has done in our lives those of us who've been walking with Jesus for a minute, you know, where we can just say, like, I am not what I once was by the grace of God, and I'm, I'm not yet what I will be, but I'm, I'm different. God is making me new. Or it might mean asking some, some heavy questions about the degree to which the gospel has settled in our lives. Just one of the weird things about our cultural moment, and especially being in Grand Rapids and West Michigan is that, you know, everybody's a Christian or everybody's got some kind of background and um, it's easy to kind of like have it by osmosis but not yourself in, in your own life. So let's dive into our text here, verse 8. I'm going to dip back into verse 8 for a little bit of context. Paul says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? If I'm trying to please man, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I'd have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So the intensity of Paul's rebuke, he, he explains, is because when the church in Galatia left the, the, the original gospel, when they, they, they jettisoned from Paul's gospel and added Torah observance to Jesus, it wasn't like they're just like uh, disagreeing with Paul. They're like, like he's a philosopher that they can you know, pick and choose from him. Paul's saying like, no, you are rejecting God. You are rejecting divine revelation. And specifically, Paul is saying that what he preached in the churches of Galatia is not something that he was given by other humans, specifically the other apostles. He goes into great pains uh, to explain this, and starting in uh, verse 15. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and called me by grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach among the Gentiles, I did not consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw no, none of the other apostles except James, the, Lord brother, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. It's like, why all this backstory, Paul? Well, he's stressing the point that he wasn't taught by other humans. 
So whenever you're, you know, you're in a, a book of the Bible that was a letter, Galatians is a, an epistle that Paul wrote to the churches of Galatia, people, specific people in a specific place. You know, we're, we're getting one half of the conversation. Paul's res- responding to a circumstance. And apparently the circumstance is that he's getting accusations or criticism from other people in Galatia that his gospel wasn't legitimate or it was tainted by other humans or whatever. Most commentators are clear that we're unclear about what the actual uh, accusations were. Uh, but apparently in verse 20, like the, that parenthetical in verse 20, I am, in what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Like he's insisting that he only saw Peter and James, Cephas and James, when he went up to Jerusalem uh, that, that first time. It has something to do with the degree that he just didn't interact with the other apostles a lot. Um, and, and that his gospel wasn't shaped by humans, but was divinely revealed to him by God himself. This brings us to uh, a, a paradigm, if we're kind of connecting last week and this week, the, the, the two things that Paul is doing here, uh, which is to talk about uh, the objective and subjective aspects of the gospel. The objective gospel are the doctrines, truths, realities of the gospel that, that's, that are just facts that are realities that stand alone on their own they're outside of me they're outside of you you know think think gravity you know there, there's like the objective fact of gravity the 9.8 meters per second squared uh, that's the acceleration of gravity it just is it exists on its own it doesn't matter what you think of it what i think of it we can fight it deny it but you know it is an objective reality but then the subjective gospel refers to our own personal experience of the objective like if I'm in the woods and I jump off a waterfall into a nice deep pool and I have the fun subjective experience of gravity, you know, pulling me to the water at 9.8 meters per second squared. Or my subjective experience could be slipping on the ice and bruising my tailbone and not being able to sit right for, you know, for weeks on end. That would be my subjective experience of, of, of gravity. I think it's helpful to kind of suss two of these out. We might be inclined to lean too far to one side, just be all about the objective and miss how we actually interact with it, or all about our feelings and miss the objective truths and realities of the gospel. And Tim Keller points out that you can't really, like, truly, biblically separate them. Like, he, he, he talks about it like we're kind of like nodding our head to like modernism and just like the the way we think today because the bible doesn't separate the objective and subjective at all he says it like this jesus said i am the way the truth and the life i don't bring the way the truth and the life jesus says i am the way jesus doesn't bring the word he is the word he's the word that was with god and the word who was god when you have a person who is also the truth, you say, well, it has to be one or the other. Either you have the truth, and the truth is a proposition, prescribed, formal doctrine, or a person, intuitive, synthetic, instantaneous. But no, it's both. He is both, because the principle is a person. To bring this to our text, the passage we talked about last week is Paul talking about the, 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 the objective reality of the gospel given by God himself. And then Paul flows seamlessly uh, next into his subjective experience of the gospel. In order to expound on the objective reality of the gospel, he goes into his subjective experience of the gospel. If the objective truths of the gospel are not something that get into our subjective experience in lives, then it's not the life-changing gospel. 
We spent all last summer, you know, talking about the book of James and faith without belief. You know, and, and James 2.19 says, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. You know, it's like we, we can believe objective facts and go hang out with the demons, agree with the demons or whatever. There's, what's the difference there is, is how those truths, those objective truths have hit in our lives. But hear this. This is so important. Lest we get all anxious and feel like we need to like, you know, run out and find ourselves a subjective experience of the gospel because the subjective experience of the gospel is not something that we do, not something that we muster up. The gospel to come to bear in our lives is something that God does. This is so powerfully true in our sermon text. Look at verse 13 and 14. Paul starts his story. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, where I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. So this is the before part of Paul's story. Who's doing the action here before God breaks into Paul's story? Paul is. I persecuted the church. I tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism. I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. Before Jesus, before the gospel breaks into our story, all we have is our own striving. Probably not many of us were advancing in, you know, Judaism beyond people our own age or huge into Torah observant or putting Christians in jail, but all of us have our anti-Jesus actions where we're trying to justify ourselves, we're trying to get our our needs met, our needs for approval and significance and and security met on our own strategies where we don't have anything else to do but to scheme and to strive. Part of knowing our gospel story, what what, what are are your verbs that you were doing, that, that you were trying to do in order to meet your needs apart from God? Verse 15. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me. We'll stop there. This is a long sentence. Who's doing the action now? God is. I love this. I love the, 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 the big butts in Paul's writing, to, to say it awkwardly. Uh, <laughs> he's doing all this stuff, but when he, God, set me apart, God's doing it. God set him apart before he's born, called him by grace, was pleased to reveal his son to him. Can we just glory in, in the gospel here? Apart, you see this picture of frantic, angry Paul violently hurting people, women and children, and then, but God breaks in. Having set him apart from, from before he was born and calling him by grace, not for anything that he did, and not, not because of what he did, but it, not even in spite of what he did. And then reveals Jesus, this divine revelation of Jesus. Of course, Paul had a little bit of a special category, you know, get knocked off his horse by Jesus himself. But all of us, to experience the gospel, we see Jesus. Just like when Jason said, when I saw Jesus on the cross, I was undone. I, I was overwhelmed by God's love for me when I beheld Jesus. There's some beautiful workings of God in the gospel here that I don't want us to miss. Some beautiful elements of good news. He, he sets us apart before we were born. 
You are not an accident. You're not an afterthought. The days of your life aren't meaningless. They're all written in God's book before you lived any of them. And he calls us to himself because he wants you. He loves you. He needed you. The party wasn't complete without you. Like, who do you call? You call the people you want to talk to, the people you want to be around. And he reveals Jesus to us in a beautiful way. Shows Jesus, makes, gives us new hearts where we can see Jesus as the treasure in the field. And what happens next in Paul's subjective experience of the gospel? Dot, dot, dot. Was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Was it in order that he didn't have to do anything ever because it's all been done by Jesus? No, he's invited into this epic mission, proclaiming the gospel, inviting people into the family that he used to persecute. This is, God doesn't, save us and put us on the shelf as little statues of redemption, but he saves us unto good, good works that he set up and equipped us and, uh, and called us to do, filled with his spirit. I was thinking about it this week, like this is the storyline of all of our favorite movies. Harry Potter, The Matrix, Captain America, probably most of the Marvel ones. But you, you have some schlub stuck in a miserable position. What happens? He gets caught up in... A, a huge story, this entire world he didn't even know existed. And he he's discovers power available to him that he didn't know he had. And he has a, a role to play in this epic mission to turn back evil and usher in peace. We are saved, given a new lease on life, new power, and then given a mission to conquer evil. You heard this in Jason's testimony as well. He's slayed by the beauty of Jesus. And now what? He's changing how he does money, how he relates to other people, how he relates to the poor. Like he kind of downplayed it there, but he's like voluntarily doing a part-time job running a mentorship program now. Like he's changing the way he lives. It's beautiful. And the point of all this is not, Paul's not bragging here. Like he just outed himself as a persecutor of the church. The point of all this is verse 24. And they glorified God because of me. This is the beautiful part of our gospel stories. Like, not only is it good news to us, but then our lives become these, these beacons of glory unto God. When the objective gospel breaks into your life subjectively, the net effect, the result, is that people praise God for what he's done. Like, we can celebrate Paul, he's super smart, wrote lots of books, planted churches, but, you know, he killed Christians. And now he can get glory to be like, look, Look what I do now. Like, I'm, I'm undone. I'm different. I'm 100% going in the opposite direction. Uh, coming, coming fresh off our Enneagram workshop yesterday, I feel like I, I should say this. Like, depending on how you're wired, I think, changes the way this sounds, sounds to us. Like, if you're a kind of a high-energy, action-oriented person, you hear, you know, like, like yeah, I want to be Harry Potter. Like, give me a broom. <laughs> you know, I want to I go do stuff. I want to roll in God's epic story that he's telling. But if we're, maybe we're naturally, like, quieter, cozier, lower-energy person, there's, like, nothing wrong with that. But we might hear this invitation to step into, experience life with God under his rule, participating in, the, in what he's called us to do with a little less excitement. But hear, hear the why, like, the point is so that people will glorify God because of you, 
That your life can become this, this shining light of who God is and what he can do. I mean, I think of John Piper's story. This shy, introverted, quiet guy gets caught up in God's mission and becomes this dynamo preacher that shapes an entire generation of Christians, like myself included. This is, this is what God does. He, he takes a, a shy, awkward guy and makes him a fiery preacher. He takes like the most Jewish guy ever and makes him a missionary to non-Jewish people. Like the, the guy who was the most about keeping the rules in the Jewish tradition can say, they're not important. I tried them. They're not important. And now he has this mission to, an, to the whole rest of the world. God gets glory from your participation in his kingdom. And I just can't help but wonder, like, the, the anxiety, the depression, the insecurity, like, the lostness that, that seem to crush us as a culture, they, they might break down when we get up off the couch and see God be strong in our weakness. We show up and we see God be strong in our weakness and push back the darkness. This brings... That's the last thing I, I want to talk about, kind of like taking all the stuff with Paul down into our, our lives, which is considering our own experience of the gospel. And I, and I just kind of riffing on what Paul does here, I want to offer a template or outline that I think could be a helpful tool um, here uh, in, in thinking about your gospel story, your subjective experience of the gospel. It was just what Jason did, it's what Paul does here before Jesus, meeting Jesus, Life with Jesus. Boom, boom, boom. Part one, what was life like before Jesus? It was all the I statements. Meeting Jesus. It's how God broke into your story. Life with Jesus. Now that you've seen Jesus, what does life with him look like? Joining him in his kingdom. This pattern is helpful for a couple of reasons. One, it doesn't work without Jesus. This is like a heartbreaking reality of being a pastor is I've heard people in the church tell their story, gospel story, without mentioning the name Jesus. That's another sermon. It's very sad. Uh, but th- this is a structure that I think makes it really hard because <laughs> he's in every single part. Uh, second, uh, I just want to point out, uh, Paul. This, this is like a pattern from what Paul does here, but I think you can also track this uh, in a more general sense in Ephesians 2. So let me just do that for us. See that I'm not making it up. Turn with me to Ephesians 2. It shows us more about the gospel in, a, in the context of a letter where Paul is trying to just kind of dive more deeply into gospel theology on a kind of like universal level. So first, we have the first move of this gospel paradigm, life before Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 1 of Ephesians And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in the work of the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So life before Jesus, brutal. Like not a lot going for us. Like we're dead. In our sins. We're dead in our, like if you've ever been to a cemetery, there's just like not a lot of activity going on. There's not a lot of choices being made. Um, the, and and we're, it talks about we're under wrath. We're, we're living in the passions of our flesh. Like the, the imagery here is like we're just like chained by it, owned by it, slaves to our sin. We can't do anything but that. And we get another beautiful big butt. Look at verse 4. 
But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. This is beautiful, beautiful gospel stuff. We see God acting, right? He's, he makes us alive. He, he, he seats us with Jesus. We're united with Christ, and he seats us with Jesus in the heavenly places here. Like the, the image here is like being having a, having a chair waiting for you at the table of God and the household of God next to Jesus Christ, the king of the universe. Like you belong in the presence of the Trinitarian God. And we see him getting glory. Verse 7 says, so that he can show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ. Like he's showing the cosmos the immeasurable riches of his grace in our lives as he takes us from being under wrath, dead in our sins, to like at the table with him. And all of it, everything that God does in the gospel to bring it home subjectively in our lives is grace. Nothing we can do to earn it, nothing we can do to deserve it, it is a free gift. And it's so interesting to me that Paul, like the biggest grace guy in the Bible, if you're allowed to say something like that, is also the one who like does the most. He plants the most churches, writes the most books. Is that a coincidence? I think not. Like grace fuels action. It drives us deeper into the life with God and empowers us in our weakness. This is verse 10. Look at verse 10. This is life after life with Jesus. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I love this verse because it shows how even like good works, like anything that we do in life with God after, after he breaks into our story is, is a gift, is from God himself. God prepared these good works for us to do and called us into his family and gives us the ability to do them and it enters into our lives or even our bodies with the Holy Spirit and gives us the ability to do them. So example of this analogy is this uh, gift that my in-laws gave my son Johnny, who's four years old. It's a subscription to this project box. Every month this box comes with uh, craft supplies for like three projects. And uh, it's precious because... And it's a great product, parents, if you're looking for something. Because every, everything is included in the box. The instructions, all the materials. And listen, this is the money. It's like professionally designed projects exactly for Johnny's like stage of development and capacity and ability and stuff. So you know, if, it's too, if it's too easy, he wouldn't be interested. If it's too hard, then, you know, Camilla or I just end up doing it for him or he gets discouraged or whatever. But it's just perfect. Like, it's so fun. It's so fun to do projects with him. He's, like, so in, you know, flow mode, deep work, just, like, you know, making little foam cars or whatever. Johnny loves it, and he's so proud of it. Like, that's the other precious thing. You know, this, this thing that was purchased for him that was, like, professionally prepared that'd be, like, something that he could do. You know, we did a project this week. Uh, he and I, Camille was downstairs reading, and he's just like, Oh, the whole time, I can't wait to show mom. I I'm, I'm, can't wait to go down and show mom. 
he's proud of himself. And I think that's the, that, that gets at the idea of, of a gift of God here that God does for us here. Like we're made new, we see Jesus, we're, we're, we belong in the family. And then he sends these cute, perfectly designed little projects for us to delight in doing ourselves, like with, our, like with the gifts and abilities he's given us, and to do with him. That's the other beautiful thing about this like, project box. Like they can't do it alone. It's not easy enough for them to do it alone. They, it, it, it's good quality time together. And it helps us grow, and it brings him glory. And all of this is grace, a gift. So to recap, the, the gospel paradigm here for our lives is life before Jesus, meeting Jesus, life with Jesus. How would you describe your own gospel story in, in those three moves. There's other ways to talk about your testimony or your, your gospel story, but it's, it's in Scripture. It's a paradigm we can, we can riff on in Scripture. And on a lived experience, like having a really tight handle on these three moves of God's work in your life uh, is so helpful when you have those dark nights of the soul. When you're in the, in the pit and you, you, you don't, know what's happening, or you feel so defeated and weary by besetting sin, you can rehearse how God sought you out, called you, seated you at the table with him, and how life with Jesus is better, even if it's harder. So my invitation for you this week is to set aside some time for, for silence and solitude. Maybe grab a journal, like write out these three moves on the page and ask the Holy Spirit to, to see your gospel story anew. Rehearse the work of God that he's done in your life. Start writing out what life was like before you, you met Jesus. Let the quiet, the silence, the, the lack of distraction be space for the Holy Spirit to, to help you remember with a, with a gospel lens of what God has done. Sometimes we get so bogged down in our struggles that we forget how far we've come. We miss that we are not like how we once were by the grace of God. God is at work. And originally I was thinking this is like a side benefit, but I think this rolls right into what Paul says in our sermon text. The side benefit of having a really tight handle on your like three-part gospel story is that's like the easiest way to share the gospel with someone. The easiest way to testify to the objective realities of the gospel is to show them how those objective realities played out in your life. This is why we call it witnessing. Like, don't get uncomfortable. Just, like, hear what that, I know it's, like, got baggage around that word. But, like, what does witnessing mean? You, like, saw something, experienced something, and then you tell others about it. And, and, of, and of course, like, we all do this all the time. You know, every time you wax poetic about your kids or Ted Lasso, you are witnessing to something that gave you joy. We can't not testify to the things that satisfy us. And so the deeper that we, we, we are soaking in God's gospel work in our life, the easier it is to just like let that gospel story flow when we are interacting with people that don't know Jesus. It's way less stressful, right? You're like, God does this work. I, I, I don't have to convince this person or say it well enough to where they start crying and, you know, whatever, uh, it flows out of our delight in Jesus through the gospel. And I believe these are some of the good works that God has prepared for us. There are people out there that God wants to bring into his family and he wants to use you to do it. 
But some of us here today might be feeling a little squirmy. Maybe we're realizing that filling out those three moves of the gospel uh, aren't super clear. Or can we say people glorified God because of me? I'm not trying to be mean or make you feel bad or anything like that, but just ask the question, like, is, is, is there gospel sweetness, gospel riches that maybe you haven't yet experienced? Because I, like our, our, our text where Paul's like insisting that he didn't like go immerse himself in Jerusalem with all the things going on there seems to imply that there's, there's some risk of kind of getting up, getting caught up in a culture uh, like a church culture or a ministry culture, and just kind of like borrowing the gospel, like not never actually owning it yourself, just kind of like bar- borrowing it. Paul avoided going straight to Jerusalem, went away into Arabia. I would give so much to know what he did those three years. No one knows. Uh, I have all kinds of ideas, but I'm not going to share them now. We don't know what he did, but it's not hard to imagine imagine the work that had to happen. Like if he's like actively like killing Christians and needs to like God to like rewire his entire like understanding of the world uh, in light of the gospel. There's some like space for him to like own the gospel for himself. In our day and age, it, it can be super easy to, you know, join a college ministry because those were the kids that were nicest, you know, and you get your parents off your back and then you, you know, you go to you join a church afterwards because you move to a new town and need some friends and just kind of like float along, you know, riding the spiritual coattails of other people. And then it kind of avoids some of the, the harder questions of your own story and your own experience of the gospel with just, you know, the stuff of life, just distraction, work, kids, busyness. Friend, if that's you, hear the gracious call of God inviting you to to consider Jesus, the beauty of his son for yourself again. If you have questions about the gospel, your subjective experience, come talk to me. I'll be up front after the gathering for a minute where we can get coffee or whatever. You can talk to your LTG or your spouse or whatever, but inviting community into your gospel story to process that. Like if you're not sure where to start or what counts or whatever, like let's, let's have those conversations the, the, the hope is that God would get glory as our, the richness of our subjective experience of the gospel, of his extravagant, steadfast, steadfast love for us in Jesus grows deeper and deeper. Let me pray. Oh God of salvation, I praise you for your, your glorious gospel that to this day still overwhelms me and blows my mind and melts my heart every time I hear someone share their story like Jason. Father, I I pray as we uh, just prepare as a church to settle into this sermon series and soak in Galatians and uh, discuss the gospel that you would uh, just open our hearts to receive it anew. Holy Spirit, would you uh, just flood us with joy as we reflect on what you've done in our lives over the years? already be bringing to mind uh, just clear evidences of how you have transformed us and how we are not how we once were. If anyone here is feeling uncomfortable or has questions, Father, would they just hear your, your call that maybe today you are calling them because you love them, because you want them, and you, you want to uh, bring them into life with you. In Jesus' name, amen.